Amen. Praise the Lord, everyone. It is good to be with you. Uh, it's good to be in this church. Uh, Pastor Calhoun has invited me here before, but it never uh, worked out. But it didn't stop him from supporting the work in Nigeria. And uh, you may be seated. And uh, when he began, well, I'm not sure exactly what year you started supporting us, but in, uh, we arrived in Nigeria in 1997. And after four years of arduous labor, we had one church, 70 members, and our Bible school. And uh, when we, uh, at the end of 2019, which are the last numbers that I have, uh, the 2020 report isn't in yet, but at the end of last year, we had 31,678 members 212 churches and 24 preaching points. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And in 2019, we baptized over 5,000 and almost 4,900 received the Holy Ghost. I know sometimes when you support missionaries, you don't really realize what you're doing, but really your investment in missions is an investment in souls, amen. And so we thank you for that. It's good to see the Schutz family here, amen. We know them from a long time ago. And Carla, praise the Lord. I haven't seen you for 100 years, praise the Lord. <laughs> well, we're both getting older, praise the Lord. Amen. Well, I'd like, uh, I'm going to preach a Christmas message. Amen. And uh, when I say the greatest Christmas message, I'm not talking about my per personal delivery, but the greatest message that God gives us in his word. And I'm going to ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18. Uh, most everybody in here obviously will know this passage of scripture, but it's uh, well to read. Uh, every year at Christmas, when we'd sit down with our children, before any gifts were ever opened, they had, uh, we read the Christmas story from Matthew and from Luke. In fact, for many years, we put a verse of scripture on every package, and they had to read the verse of scripture and guess what was in the package before they could open it. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Amen. All right, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, so Mary was engaged, before they came together, before they were actually married, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. Uh, but while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all of this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the uh, spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying behold a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel which being interpreted is 
God with us. Amen. So I'd like to preach to you on the subject this morning of the wonder of God with us. The wonder of God with us. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> uh, how many of you have ever read the verse of Scripture in Revelation that John wrote where he said that the Lamb was slain before the foundation of the earth? Now, if you just think about that, Jesus was slain, uh, nailed to a cross in Calvary at least 4,000 plus years uh, before, uh, at least 4,000 years before the foundation of the earth. Everybody follow. So before he was ever slain on that cross, it was already in the mind and in the plan of God that he would come and put on flesh. When Adam was created, now we know that God is a spirit. He's an invisible spirit. He doesn't have flesh and blood. But when Adam was created, the Bible says that he was made in the image and in the likeness of God. Again, you'd have to ask yourself the question, Adam was not a spirit, but yet he was made in the image and the likeness of God. And so the only thing that God could have been talking about in those verses was that uh, would be answered in Romans 4.17, God sees those things that are to be as though they already were. So even before God created the heavens and the earth, he already knew he would put on flesh. He already knew he would come and dwell among men. Amen. He already knew yes. that he would uh, uh, offer the sacrifice that would uh, wash away our sins and allow for us to be saved. Now, this morning... Uh, I'd like you to think about uh, if we're going to begin in the Old Testament. And if you go back to the Old Testament, you have to remember Adam and Eve have no Bible. They have no church, all right? They have no pastor, all right? They don't have a congregation that they meet with and worship with. Uh, and neither did uh, Noah, nor did Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or Joseph. And for that matter, Moses had no Bible until he started writing one. Praise the Lord. And so the only way that God spoke to men in those early years was he either spoke directly to them or he spoke to them and introduced himself to them through the revelation of his own name. Uh, many of the names that we, uh, we attribute to God really are really not names, but they're titles. And uh, there's only really uh, two names in your Bible that are really given to God, Yahweh or Jehovah in the English, Yahweh from the Hebrew, and Jesus. All the rest are titles. And uh, so I'd like to just take a little journey through the Old Testament, and I'll begin in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. And it says, in the beginning, God, all right, and I'm not going to get too complicated here, but if you look at that word God in the original Hebrew, it is the word Elohim. Amen? So in the beginning, Elohim created the heaven and the earth. Now, if you knew nothing about God, if you had never 
uh, been in a church before, if you had never opened a Bible before, you had never uh, had somebody witness to you, the only name you would have for God if you started reading from the beginning of your Bible would be the word God. That would be his name. And this word God, this Elohim, is telling us uh, three different things. If you look at the verse, in the beginning, all right, this is the beginning of the marking of time. God gives us time. God created. Now, it says God, but it doesn't tell us where God came from, but it, it assumes that everybody knows there is a God because there's something in the heart of every man, woman, and child that does know there is a God. So he doesn't have to prove his existence. So in the beginning, we have time, and we have God, and God created. And he created the heavens and the earth. Now, we know from physical science, and many people want to criticize the Bible. They say it's not scientifically accurate. Actually, the Bible is scientifically perfectly accurate because it was written by the creator of all things in this earth and in the universe. Now, we know that for anything to exist, whether it's a chair, a desk, a human, whatever, it requires three things. It requires time, it requires space, and it requires matter. Without time, space, and matter, nothing exists. Now look at what God says. In the beginning, we have time. God created the heavens. We have space. And the earth, we have matter. Amen. All of the physical science you take in eighth grade is encompassed in this one verse of scripture. And so we know that God is, he is our creator, and we identify him as God or as Elohim. Now in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, the Bible says, and the Lord God. And if you can put that one up, Genesis 2 and verse 7, and actually... In the original King James Version, the word Lord, all the letters would be capitalized. So if you're looking at it in your Bible, you'll see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So we, if I asked you now what God's name was, you know, you could say God or you could say Lord God. Amen? Now, do we have two God? All right. We know that God and Lord God are talking about one and the self-same God. But Lord attached to God in this verse of Scripture is telling us that out of all of God's creation, you are his prized possession. All right. You are what brings God the joy. Uh, everything that was created in those first six days of creation was for you and me. Uh, it, we were told when Adam was created, he was told, you are to have dominion over the earth. Everything that was made was for man. And now God says, now, the interesting thing here, he formed man out of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. All right? I know... In this country, people look at their pets like they are human. In Nigeria, they eat them. 
but a dog doesn't have a soul. A deer doesn't have a soul. A raccoon doesn't have a soul. All right? We have a soul. We are the only part of God's creation that has a soul. We are the only part of God's creation that will have an eternal destiny. And so Genesis 2 and 7 is underscoring the fact that of all that God did, that we are his crowning achievement and that God has a special relationship with man. So what we know is God is a creator, God gave us time, and that God has a special relationship with men. In Genesis chapter 15 and verse 1, actually verse 2, uh, Abraham is speaking to God, and he said, and uh, Abraham said, Lord God. Now here it actually is, capital L, and then small O-R-D. All right, because this is a different Lord than the Lord you read in Genesis 2-7. This word is actually, uh, the, in the Greek, would be the word Adonai. And Adonai means master. So Abram, who only knows that God is creator and that God has relationship with man, is now going to find out that God is the boss. He's the master. Amen. Remember, when God called Abraham, he was born and raised in the family of an idolatrous, in an idolatrous family where his father actually was an idol maker. So you can imagine that when Abraham goes to uh, Terah, his father, and tells him, you know, I'm, I'm going to a land that God will show me. And his father must have said to him, well, what is your God's name? Because all of his idols had a name. And he said, well, I don't know his name. Well, where are you going? I, I don't know really exactly where I'm going. Well, what does your God look like? Now, in Nigeria, you can't go to a village and not see an idol house and not see their God, an image of their God. And so Abraham's father must have looked at him and said, so, son, I think you are crazy. You are going to follow a no-name, invisible God to a place you don't even know where you're going. That's why Abraham is the father of the faithful. And here he recognizes that God is the boss. God is the master. And in Genesis 17 and 1, God again adds to. Now, now watch what God is doing, especially in the early pages of your Bible. He is revealing himself to you and to me through the revelation of his name. So we have, we have God, we have Lord God or Yahweh God, and now we have Adonai, our master God. There's not a person in this room that thinks we now have three God. Everybody knows that those are three titles or words that describe the same God, but they give to us a different aspect of who that God is. And in Genesis 17 and 1, uh, again, uh, he speaks to Abraham. He said, I am almighty God or in the Hebrew, El Shaddai. So we now have Elohim, Adonai, and El Shaddai. El Shaddai means all-powerful. Everybody in this room would probably agree that there's nothing too hard for God. Amen. But Abraham didn't know that, and he's now getting that revelation. 
that God is not only his boss, but God can do anything, that there's nothing too hard for him. Now, uh, we used to sing a chorus, and maybe you still do here, but, uh, you know, we sing El Shaddai, El Shaddai. I'd sing it, but my children told me, if you ever preach somewhere, don't sing. They said, if you do, you won't get an offering. So I'll just tell you the words. So they, you know, how we would sing El Shaddai, El Shaddai, Elohim, and Adonai. It's Hebrew. Most of us have no idea what we're singing. Lovely song, but we don't know what we're singing. But what we're singing is Almighty God, Almighty God, Creator God, the Master God. Amen? And so uh, Abraham is getting a successive uh, revelation of the name of God. In Genesis 22 and 14, when he offers up, uh, when he's willing to offer up Isaac uh, on an altar, and Isaac had asked him, uh, where will the sacrifice come from? Not, never having any idea he was the sacrifice. But Abraham, by faith, said God will provide a sacrifice. And as Isaac laid on that altar, God said, don't take your son, but there was a ram caught in the bushes, and he said, go get that ram and offer that. And so Abraham names that place Jehovah Jireh, the Lord God provides. So there are many people in church, and I found as a pastor, all right, people have the idea that because you're the pastor, you have, uh, extra, you have an extra in with God that your prayers are going to be answered more easily than anybody else's. It's not true. You know, before I ever was a pastor, and now that I'm not a pastor, I was a Christian. And I'm still a Christian. Yes. Amen. Titles come, titles go. Amen. But we are all children of God. And what God promised to one of us, he promised to all of us. So if he'll do it for me, he'll do it for you. If he'll do it for you, he'll do it for me. And so many people believe that God can do anything, all right, else should I, but they don't believe that, th that God will do it for them. Now he's telling Abraham, I'll do it for you. I will provide your need. In Exodus chapter 3, now notice here you have, we now have, God, Elohim, Adonai, El Shaddai, Yahweh, and Jehovah Jireh. Amen. Five titles, five actually names or titles, all giving us a deeper revelation of the God that we serve. But it's interesting to note that when Jacob wrestled with the angel at the river Jabbok, he already has all of these names and titles. But when he's wrestling with the Lord and the Lord says, and remember, he's in a prayer meeting asking God to save his family. And God had assured him, I'm going to save your family. But when he got into the presence of God, saving his family was no longer the most important thing in his mind and heart. The most important thing to him was, I want to know your name. If Yahweh was his name, if Jehovah was his name, he doesn't have to ask him what his name is. There's no need to ask what your name is because he already had Yahweh, Jehovah, Adonai, El Shaddai, Elohim. He had all of those. But they, the Hebrew people knew that they did not have 
a full revelation of the name. When God calls Moses and he tells him to lead my people out of Egyptian bondage, in Exodus chapter 3, verse 13, it said, Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent you. Now consider what just took place here. Moses is at the burning bush, and he wants to know God's name. If I'm going to go to Pharaoh, now remember the Egyptians are idolaters. They worship over 2,000 gods and goddesses. Basically, if it moved or made a sound, they worshiped it. And so Moses knows when he goes to Pharaoh, he is going to have to identify the God that's sending him. And so he asks him, what is your name? Again, if Jehovah's his name, if Yahweh's his name, he doesn't have to ask that question. And the Lord now speaks to him, and he tells him, well, tell him this, tell him I am that I am. I think everybody in here would agree, nobody in here is going to name their child I am that I am. I am is not a name. It's two singular personal pronouns. I am that I am. I am the self-existent one. He doesn't say here, forgive me, he doesn't say here, we are that we are. He said, I am that I am. There is no other God. When you look at those 10 plagues that fell on Egypt, they were against the 10 major gods of the Egyptians. They were not arbitrarily chosen by a capricious God. Those plagues were specifically aimed at the major false gods of the Egyptians. When water was turned into blood, and I know from Nigeria, the Nigerian people in every village, they worship the marine God. What God was saying when he turned that water into blood, I'm the marine God. I'm the one who made that water. I can turn it into blood. I can turn it into milk. I can dry it up. I can make it flood because I'm the real marine God. I am that I am. Yes. He was telling Moses, you can just fill in the blank. Whatever you need, I am. I am the healer. I am the provider. Yes. I am the deliverer. Yes. And so he doesn't give him a name at this point. And so... Uh, you read about Moses, how all the way through uh, his leading of the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage, he continues to ask God, what is your name? Amen. And I want to see you face to face. Now, skipping up to Isaiah 43 and 11. In Isaiah 43 and 11, it says, I, even I am the Lord, and beside me, there is no savior. Now look at those words. I, even I, singular, singular, am. I am. I am that I am. I'm the one that spoke to Moses at the burning bush. And beside me, 
There's nobody on my right hand. There's nobody on my left hand because I don't have a right hand and I don't have a left hand. I'm the omnipresent God uh, who is a spirit. And so I said, I, even I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. And beside me, there is no savior. I'm the only savior. Amen. So Isaiah who had also had his vision in Isaiah chapter 6 when he saw the Lord high and lifted up. What does he want to know? He said, I want to see you face to face, and I want to know your name. And the best that he can get, at least in Isaiah 43, is that he's the Savior. Now in Isaiah 7 and 14, in Isaiah 7, 14, uh, right after uh, Isaiah had his vision. The Lord says to him, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, that being interpreted, God with us. Which God? Which God? All right, Emmanuel is which? Now you have to think. Now you got to go back to what I said in Elohim. Which God will be with us? The creator God. Emmanuel is Elohim with us. And how will we know when he's with us? Because he'll come as a son. He'll be born of a virgin. And his name will be called Emmanuel. In Isaiah 9 and 6, For unto us a child is born... And a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name, singular, will be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Imagine the son, the child, is none other than the Everlasting Father. The Son is none other than Emmanuel or Elohim with us. And Galatians tells us, but when the fullness of time would come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. And so that brings us to Matthew chapter 1, the verses that we read earlier as our text, and she will bring forth a Son, and she shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. That's Jehovah speaking. But when Jesus is born, when Jesus is born, he's identified as the Savior of the world. All of this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, a virgin will conceive and bear a son, and you'll call his name Emmanuel, namely God with us. And so that Jesus that was born in that manger in Bethlehem some 2,000 years ago is none other than the God of the Old Testament manifested in flesh. Jesus is not a new God. 
Jesus is not a secondary God. Jesus is not part of God. Jesus is completely God. Now, one thing that, you know, uh, it's interesting to me when Christians uh, try to defend a false doctrine by appealing to the scriptures that were all written by Hebrew people. All right, everybody that wrote in scripture was Hebrew except Luke, but he was a Hebrew, he was a Jewish proselyte. Amen. And the cornerstone of Judaism, the ancient creed of Judaism, the most important verse and pivotal verse in all of the Bible is Deuteronomy 6:4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. So the apostles, Andrew, uh, Peter, James, John, Thomas, Bartholomew, every single one of them were monotheistic Jews. They believed in one God and only one God. They had no idea of a secondary God. When Jesus came, they didn't really understand who he was. They didn't understand half of what he taught. But they did understand when he forgave sin that only God can forgive sin. They didn't understand that when he said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up, that he would raise himself out of that grave until it actually happened. So they knew who he was saying he was, but understanding it was a different thing. When Jesus rose from the dead, and appeared to his disciples. Thomas was not in the group. We have a tendency to call him Doubting Thomas, unfair. If any of us would have witnessed that crucifixion and the beating and the mutilation that Jesus took, nobody would have thought that body came out of the grave. In Nigeria, we've seen people raised from the dead, but nobody was beat to a pulp. Nobody's body was ripped open. Nobody, you know, and they were only dead for, you know, uh, uh, four hours. But this one was in a grave for three days. And so when Thomas didn't see the risen Christ, he said, unless I see with my own eye, unless I put my hand in the nail prints and in the, uh, where the sword pierced his side, I won't believe. So when Jesus appears to Thomas, Thomas does what only a monotheistic Jew could do. He fell to his knees and he said, my Lord and my God, my Yahweh and my Elohim, my Savior and my Creator. He had a complete and full revelation of the mighty God in Christ. We talk about Uh, We talk about Moses. He prayed, God, I want to see you face to face. I want to know your name. Moses dies, and the Lord, Bible says the Lord buries him, uh, but he never hears his name, and he never sees his face. But when the Lord ministered to the disciples, particularly Peter, James, and John, he he transfigures himself on the Mount of Transfiguration. And when Peter, James, and John saw the glorified Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration, 
God brought Moses and Elijah to see him. 1,450 years after the prayers were prayed, God answered Moses' prayer. He said, today you will see my face and you will know my name. I am Jesus. Amen. The Bible tells us in Colossians 2 and 9, in him, not in them, in Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and we are complete in him, not them. We are complete in him. Because when I say Jesus, I've said Elohim. When I say Jesus, I've said Adonai. When I say Jesus, I've said El Shaddai. When I say Jesus, I've said Father. When I say Jesus, I've said Son. When I say Jesus, I've said Holy Ghost. When I say Jesus, I've said Yahweh. When I say Jesus, I've said Jehovah. When I say Jesus, I've said I am that I am. When I say Jesus, I've said Savior. When you say Jesus, you've said it all. When you say Jesus, you've already said provider. Because everything that God is, is in Christ. The Bible says that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Amen. Now, when we think about that in 1 Timothy 3.16, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. And I have witnessed to people, and they tell me, you can't understand the Godhead. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. You just have to accept it by faith. There's nothing in here we accept by faith without concrete proof. He told us that he was a healer, and he healed many, and many testimony of his healing power. Everything that God asks us to have faith in, he's already shown us that it exists. And so when he says, great, I mean, think of what are the two most important things for you and I to know. I mean, the whole purpose of your Bible is twofold. One, to know who God is, and two, what do we have to do to be saved? So why would God keep secret who he is? Why would that be a mystery? It was a mystery in the Old Testament. Hebrews 11, all these died in faith, having not received the promise of God. They never heard his name. They never saw his face. They were never filled with the Holy Ghost. But without controversy, Paul says, great is the mystery of godliness, but now the mystery has been revealed. Because God, Elohim, was manifest in flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on the world, and received up into glory. Amen. He is our Lord and our God. We may not understand how God becomes a man, but we do know that God did become a man. And that's why we can say Merry Christmas. God never, ever 
asks you to do what he wouldn't do himself. God never, ever violates his own word. That's why when he said, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin, he could say, even before the foundation of the earth, the lamb was already slain. I knew I would put on flesh. I knew I would go to a cross. I knew I would shed blood because without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Though they shed barrels of blood in the Old Testament of goats and uh, bulls and uh, lambs and whatever, and they shed all of that blood, that blood could only push the sin ahead. An animal's blood can't save you because it's inferior to your own. John the Baptist, Jesus said, of men born of a woman, none greater. But John the Baptist could not, his blood could not wash away your sin because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So God knew from the beginning he would come. He would dwell among us. Notice what John does in his gospel. He totally mimics Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then he begins, in the beginning was the word, the invisible spirit of God. You cannot separate God from his word. You cannot separate the word from the creative act but there was no visible person doing it. And the Lord said, let there be light. His spoken word created the heavens and the earth. And in the beginning was the word. The word was with God, cannot separate God from his word. And the word was God. But in verse 14, the revelation, and the word became flesh. When did it become flesh? when Jesus was born in a manger in Bethlehem. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's why he can say to us, he was touched with the feelings of our infirmities. There is nothing you'll ever experience in life that he didn't uh, experience in his own life as a man. And so he, uh, he was... <clears throat> Lost my thought here. All right. But the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father. We're not talking about a second person. We are now seeing the express image of the Father. Man could now see the express image of the invisible God. The Bible tells us that... Uh, that there is no salvation under heaven given among men uh, whereby we must be saved. In other words, we need that name. There is no other Savior. Jesus is that Savior. Colossians says that whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen? And so why is this important? I mean, everybody, you know, I hear people say all the time, well, it doesn't really matter just that you believe. Well, the Bible says in James 2.19, the devil believes in one God and he trembles. It doesn't say he believes in a trinity and trembles. 
He believes in one God because he knows there's only one God. And he trembles at that one God. Any other thing is a distortion of truth and a deception that will lead you to hell. And the reason that this doctrine is the central doctrine of all scripture, I will tell you, Brother Calhoun, when I went to Nigeria, I was going to people and I had my Bible study chart out and I'm telling them, you know, how to, uh, that they had to be baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. I was there not very long and suddenly I had a revelation, if you will. You can talk somebody into getting baptized in Jesus' name, but they have no idea why they're doing it, what they're doing it for. But when I taught, when I began to teach on the oneness of God, when you understand that there's only one God and Jesus is God, they will run to the water. You won't have any convincing to do. If you believe there's one God, then it only makes sense to be baptized in the name of that one God and his name is Jesus. I'll just finish with one passage. Everybody knows that in Matthew chapter uh, 28, Matthew chapter 28, and Jesus says that, you know, that we should baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. But this is a very huge distortion of that passage. This is the Great Commission. And when you read it in Luke, when you read it in Mark, they both say we are to preach in his name. Now, notice what verse 18 says. This is all one paragraph. Everybody understand English language, writing paragraph. One paragraph has one topic. So it says, and Jesus came and spoke to them in verse 7, 18. All authority, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. All right, what's the subject of that sentence? Jesus is the subject of that sentence. And he has all power. Now go down to verse 20. Teaching them to observe all things that whatsoever I have commanded you, that lo, uh, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. So he now tells them, now who are we speaking about here? Who taught them? Jesus taught him. He said, I want you to observe everything I taught you uh, during these last three and a half years. And we know the subject there is Jesus. So why, when we go to verse 19, do we forget what the subject is? Go, therefore, into all nations, baptizing them in the name, singular, of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen? Anybody here know that the devil is a father? The devil is a father of liars. Anybody here know that the devil is a son? He's the son of perdition. Anybody here know the devil is a spirit? So father, son, and spirit are only descriptions of one God in this verse of scripture, but that one God has a name, and his name is Jesus. Amen. Would it make any sense at all for Jesus to say, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth and go baptize in two other people's name. It would make no sense at all. And the apostles completely understood 
what he was saying because when they baptize, they only baptize in Jesus' name. Can you say praise the Lord? Praise Amen. This is the Christmas message that God put on flesh and God dwelt among us so he could show us, give us an example of how to live. I mean, how is it that God can expect you how is it that God can expect you to live for him? Because in the flesh, he lived for God. In the flesh, he lived for God. And if he can do it, you can do it. Because he will fill you with his spirit that you can have the overcoming power to live a successful Christian life. As we said, God never, ever violates his word. And so he said, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. He came. He went to the cross. The flesh of God died on that cross. You didn't kill God on that cross, but the flesh of God died on that cross. That blood was shed for you and me so we could be saved. Amen. There would be no Easter if there wasn't a Christmas. And so God loved us so much that he put on flesh and he dwelt among us. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. I don't know, some people think God number one gave God number two. But really, every time the word talks about the son, you're talking about the flesh of God. For God so loved uh, the world that he gave his own flesh, that whoever believes in him would have everlasting life and would not perish, amen. Shall we stand this morning? <clears throat> Jesus is Emmanuel. Jesus is God with us. Jesus is all of God. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Amen. Come on, let's lift him up right now. Let's lift him up. Thank you, Jesus, for giving the flesh that could be our substitute. Thank you, God. Come on, let's do that together. Hallelujah. We thank you, Jesus, for a substitute, for the power of who you are, for the knowledge of that you came and you died for us, God. Hallelujah, Jesus. But Lord, we're so grateful for your compassion is un unwavering. We are not worthy to receive you, Lord, but you are a God of grace and a God of power. I thank you for this word today, Jesus. I thank you for the encouragement in the hearts of your people. Lord God, I thank you that we know that the flesh of God was given for us. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that we understand we don't have to wonder about who you are. You're not a mystery to us, but you are the God robed in flesh, the mighty God in Christ Jesus. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Amen, amen, amen. How beautiful. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We used to blame the devil for getting in the sound system. Would you just take a moment, maybe with your family and maybe somewhere around the room, and just pray and thank God for the revelation of Jesus Christ?
If you're in the pews and you're there together, would you just take them by the hand, those that are with you in your home, and would you just thank the Lord that you have this revelation to live by, that when Christmas comes every year, it's not just presents, it's not just lights, it's not just decorations, it's not a tree, it's nothing like that, but it is literally the story of God come to save us. Jesus, in this room, there are people that love your name. In this room, there are people that have been baptized into your name, Jesus, that have been buried with Christ in water baptism because they knew the revelation of the name. Thank you, Lord, for Reverend McLean coming and reminding us again of the foundation that our families stand upon, the foundation of this Christmas, that you are Jesus, God with us, the revealed name of the God of the Old Testament is in Christ, and we are complete in you. I pray everyone in this room that has a home represented would put your name above the door, Lord Jesus, a name above their life, and would put your name upon their vessel, Lord God. They would walk with you and see salvation in their family because they know the God in whom they serve and they can communicate it, Lord Jesus. They can share the joy of this season because we know it is Jesus. And I pray that prayer over every home today. In Jesus' precious name, amen. If you want to take some time in prayer, you can do that. God bless you. It's so beautiful to see all of you. Let's give Brother McLean a big hand one more time for coming and sharing the word of God. Thank you, servant and man of God. We appreciate you. We love you. God bless you. You may be dismissed or take time of prayer, but go with God today. Amen. God bless you. Our Father, Creator, you hold our hearts together. There's no one higher than you. Our Father, Creator, you hold our hearts together. There's no one higher than you.